Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Folks, in this week's episode, as we speak with Jen Kiaba, one of the things that impresses me so much is her ability to connect the dots between what being isolated does, quite frankly, to the human brain, whether it's a person in an abusive relationship or whose family has been in a cult for a long, long time, being isolated, being only around people who are reinforcing very negative or restrictive messages has a way of taking an intelligent person and breaking them down. And so the one thing I wanted to repeat that Jen said to me off tape was that her mission is to let people know who've experienced that kind of isolation, that you are not alone, you are not broken, and you are not stupid. And so with that, I just leave you to think about that kind of compassionate message that we could be giving people that we know who are in a religion or in a relationship, even if they're in a cult like hers was the Moonies, the Unification Church her family was in, or if it's in an abusive relationship where we want to shake the shoulders of someone we love and say, why are you in this? You're better than this. You're so smart. Her words are so very compassionate and they don't push a person further into that isolation. You are not alone. You are not broken and you are not stupid. Welcome, persisters and brothers, to another episode of Persistence You with Lisbeth. And today I am honored to have Jen Kiaba with me. Jen is someone who is a fabulous artist. I've scrolled through some of her art and I encourage you to do the same on jenkiaba.com. But she's also a person that literally had the biggest wedding that I know about. And that is because Jen was a part of a second generation of the Unification Church. Now, it takes a lot for someone to get out of a controlling situation, whether it's out of a marriage that's abusive, a family system, but a religion, especially two generations deep, can be a really big, big obstacle. So I'm really thankful that Jen is here to talk to us today about her experiences, and how she was able to develop a life that she is influencing. And I, I want to say in control of as much as any of us are in control of, but thanks so much, Jen. Please tell us how about that wedding day and just, and then tell us your story. Thank sure. you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Um, you and I were chatting quickly before we hit record. And uh, I did make the comment that, you know, my, my wedding was uh, definitely very big. I think there were 200 other participants in it. The Unification wow. Church is known for their mass weddings. So, you know, for anybody that was around in the 80s, they're probably most familiar with the Unification Church from my parents' wedding, which was the mass wedding in Madison Square Garden in 1982. Um, but yeah, my story is, is that, you know, both of my parents joined the Unification Church in the 1970s. And 
part of the, at least the American reaction to the Unification Church was a lot of fear because those young people were taught to cut off from their families of origin. And so the, the religious group became this very insular family for them. They were matched by Reverend Moon in 1979. So they arrived at the New Yorker Hotel ballroom, and it was probably very late at night, and men were on one side of the room, and women were on the other side. Reverend Moon started pointing, and that's how people got engaged, and that's actually very similar to what happened to me. Um, The thing was, for me, that, you know, even as a young person who was born and raised, my doubts began very early, and as you mentioned, getting out of a controlling family and a controlling religion is both of those things are very difficult. And my family was very controlling. So I had the two layers of it. So even though I experienced doubt from a very young age, like I think I was 14 the first time I was like, I think this is a cult and I think I need to leave. Um, You know, I was consistently reindoctrinated back into the system. So I actually didn't want to go through the wedding when I was 20 years old. I had showed up to uh, this moon mansion. It was uh, basically like an 18 acre estate compound in Westchester, New York. Uh, My mother had dropped me off at about 5am with giving me I think less than 24 hours notice that there was this event. She called it a matching, which to me in Unification Church language means, you know, moon will point to a partner for you. And in the past, uh, my parents included, there were what were called separation periods. So between even a matching and then the marriage, which was called a blessing, there might be three years. And sometimes those relationships would fall apart. And that was very frowned upon. But I went into my experience thinking that, okay, I'd meet the person that Moon matched me to. um, And then I'd have a few years to get to know this person before we got married. Turned out that less than three days later, we were going to get married. So I had an absolute meltdown and was like begging leaders to let me go, calling my parents to ask them to come pick me up. And there was there was no go on it. Like when I realized that other women had shown up with wedding dresses, I freaked out. Wow. And so, yeah. Um, and of course, you know, in those days, I really looked at that as like, that was my lack of faith. I was sort of very good at reindoctrinating myself or gaslighting myself. And I'm sure that, you know, many survivors of abusive situations can relate to that. And so it took me about two years after that experience to extricate myself and um, fight my way to get a church divorce. We weren't legally married, but I had to get the paperwork from the church so that, his family and my family weren't constantly chasing me down. Um, But yeah, it it took me a long time even after that to really undo the indoctrination because when you're in an isolated system, whether again, it's an abusive relationship, an abusive family, or a high control group or religion, if you don't have a lot of interaction with the outside world, you don't have the counterpoint of um, normalcy, I guess, to really judge your experience against. And I think that's part of why these systems tend to be closed, because it's very easy to normalize the abusive system. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, there were people who got out earlier than I did. It just, it took me 21 years to be able to, uh, basically say like, okay, I I think this is wrong. I could be wrong, but (laughs) I, I need freedom from this situation, you know, at, at whatever costs. So, and the point you made about, we start having 
no ability to judge our experience with, if we're not in community, if we're isolated, whether it's in an abusive relationship where someone's telling you, you're so stupid, you're so fat, you're so worthless. If you don't have community around you, you don't have access because you've been isolated, you really do start to believe those messages. So for you growing up with what we have called the Moonies, you know, I I know that's Unification Church, but other people would, would refer to it as the Moonies. But really when you grow up in that system, and you're really not provided access to the world, uh, capital W, outside of you, then it's really easy to go with what that norm is and to believe that this is the way. And I think that that's just an important thing that you brought up. It's important to remember that. So as we're quietly judging people, whether they're in a very controlling relationship or religion or something, just remembering that isolation, anything that brings us away from a healthy, diverse community is an enemy of freedom, really, and of growth. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've started to dive into recently in my healing process is learning about coercive control and what that looks like. And the systems of control are almost identical when we're talking about a high demand group or religion and then like an abusive relationship, you know? So when we talk about narcissistic abuse, where there's that idealization phase and the love bombing, which is a term coined by the unification church. Wow. um, I did not know that. Well, factoid of the day. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Reverend Moon coined the term love bombing. I believe it it is, it is ascribed to the unification church, whether it was moon or members. Um, So you have that idealization phase, which is in a cultic situation, it's a recruitment phase, but you could look at it as a recruitment into an abusive relationship on that one-to-one scale or a human trafficking situation. Um, And then once that is over, then there is that phase of, of tearing somebody down and gaslighting them and making them feel worthless. And because it's a cycle, um, what I've read is that the way that our brain reacts to the terror of the devaluation side of the cycle, and then like the oxytocin of the, um, the idealization phase, we actually get somewhat addicted to those brain chemicals. And then Alexander Stein has talked about it from an attachment theory perspective. Like when a child, for example, is terrorized, they want to go to the parent, which is the the safe haven. But if it is the parent that is causing the terror, it creates this dissociative state. And so we can kind of look at cult members as functioning similarly, and also people who are stuck in those abusive uh, relationship systems, they are, they mirror each other a lot. And so I think what I try to communicate to other people is, if you have compassion for a survivor of domestic abuse, then we have to have compassion for the people who are survivors of cultic abuse too. It, it becomes complicated in the, the cultic systems where the victims can become abusers themselves because we are taught to create that kind of community abuse against each other. You know, we will gaslight each other. We will keep each other in line. And so there's an atonement that a lot of us have to go through when we get out and realize that we were part of that broken system. Wow. Um, And so I think for a lot of us, drawing the line between, again, victim and abuser is very important in our healing. But 
to your point, it is so important that we not say these people are just stupid and broken because they are stuck in a cycle the same way that someone who got recruited into a, a trafficking system or somebody who was stuck in an abusive marriage, for example, they're not stupid. They were victimized. Correct. And it's interesting because as we were talking, uh, you know, I live in Alaska and it, someone who was my neighbor uh, got married in a unification church marriage and, you know, mm-hmm. the hundreds of people that were there. And it, it isn't something that a lot of us think about every day. You know, it's it's a little out, out of our norms, but it does happen into very smart people. And it can leave families really broken if someone tries to get out, but other people are staying in. Mm-hmm. And so what ta- you were the oldest of several siblings, really. So uh, you were the you were the person who led the way out in in a way of that belief system, or at least set a set a role model that set a you know standard that was like, well, I can pivot and rethink this. Uh, before they all followed in your former footsteps. So how has it been for your family? You know, I know when (laughs) Reverend Moon died, that was a big thing for the church in itself. Um, I think that a whole lot of clout was lost right there. But how has it been in your family when you just made this very brave decision that I'm not going to follow this any longer? Well, it's interesting because my younger sister, she's 17 months younger than me. She was the rebel growing up. And so she actually left mentally. And and the Jehovah's Witnesses have coined these phrases of being like physically in, mentally out, physically out, mentally out, physically in, mentally in, you know, every permutation of that. So my sister would be what would be referred to as physically in because she was a minor and she was stuck in the family, but mentally out. And um, what was interesting is that I saw the incredible abuse that the community and my family inflicted on her, you know, from psychological, emotional to even physical abuse. Like my father was incredibly physically abusive to her and um, was consistently threatening Mm -hmm. to kick her out, even as she was trying to finish high school. And so on one hand, um, you know, I, I applaud her bravery in terms of, of knowing herself and sticking to her values, um, even though it was a very difficult process for her. And in watching what she went through, it actually drove me in the opposite direction for a while. So I think that I, I can't take credit for, for being the good example to my siblings. But, um, you know, a few years later, I think that I was able to to show my siblings like, okay, you can actually live on the outside, you know, and the Unification Church and many other high control groups teach that when you leave, you will die. There's there's the concept of a spiritual death. But I was actually brought up to believe that like Satan and evil spirit world will attack you and physically kill you. It's so funny. I thought my cat was going to be the one to be yes, chatty. In and the of course, my cat, Oliver, needs to make sure that we know that he's stressed. Oh, all poor thing. <laughs> You're in the middle of moving some things right, and painting yeah. and getting ready to leave. And he's crying about it. Yes, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. I usually tell people that uh, as a cat. Yeah, like my cat may join us. She likes yes. <laughs> and get in the way. So I'm glad that so far it's not mine yet. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I think that um, my sister actually moved in with me after I left. And so, you know, in terms of 
of creating that bridge out. I think that was sort of the that first plank, if you will. And then I've tried to keep in touch with all of my siblings who are they're all mentally out, but from a physical standpoint, it's at varying degrees. And so um, I know that a lot of people for safety's sake have actually cut off contact with their families because it is so difficult. And there is a lot of abuse and gaslighting that will happen when you leave. But I've tried to keep some lines of communication open because it is so important to me to be able to be that example and say like, you can thrive on the outside. It's, it's difficult. And I remember mm-hmm. one of my brothers saying like, I just, I don't know that I want to do what you do. Cause I saw how hard it was. Oh, wow. So, but um, at the same time, it's like, I, I continue to try to live my life in such a way that um, not, not that, you know, anything is for show or anything, but just to, to again, be that example that, um, you can live a life of your own design and that the church doesn't have to have control over you and over your, your fear, you know, going Good. forward. Yeah. That's fantastic. How have your parents been since you made a bold decision? Uh, well, um, my mother was, I think both of my parents have really struggled with this. Um, again, I think that from their perspective, and of course I can't speak for them. Um, I failed, right? I was in Unification Church ideology. They believe that the second generation is the first generation born of God's lineage and born without the original sin that was uh, developed in the Garden of Eden. So from their perspective, I've fallen. I am part of the evil world. And, um, and I think that was devastating for them. And again, you know, it's, it's for me drawing the line between the, uh, the victim and the abusers. Um, I know that they are victims. I know that they believed that they were doing the best that they could. And still, I have to understand that that system was abusive. Um, And so from their perspective, I think they see me as this devastating loss. And my mother passed away in 2015. And yeah, it was that was very hard for a number of reasons, partially because I think that her marriage had always been very dysfunctional. And I I think that there was a lot of coming to terms with things for her. And her last words to me were actually, maybe I should have let you kids be who you were. And it wasn't a, like this deep moment of connection. It was really just sort of like, huh, maybe I should have had the chicken for dinner. You know, it was was strange how little emotion there was there. Um, But up until that she had still been trying very, very hard to get me back into the church. So again, it was very abusive. But from her perspective, she was trying to save me. Sure. And and so that was always a very hard thing to sort of dance around and set boundaries with her and continue to try to love her. And I think that both she and my father have tried to continue to love me and, and try to be the bridge back as well. And so... On one hand, I recognize that I'm lucky (laughs) that my family, my parents wanted to keep contact. But again, it's there are so many caveats that come with it It is so very conditional. Um, So it's it's a it's a delicate thing, you know, and again, I understand completely why so many people for their safety, mentally, emotionally, physically have had to cut off relationships with their family. There were periods where I did that too. Um, 
And it's just, sometimes it's touch and go. Oh, wow. Okay. Do people remarry after a spouse dies in the unification church or is that just one and done? Um, so there's something called a comfort blessing. And okay. so from an ideological standpoint, you are married for all eternity. And so when you die, you are still married to your spouse. They believe that unless you have been blessed by Reverend Moon or now, you know, whoever is in charge of the Unification Church, um, you will be lost in spirit world if you don't have the blessing. But they do recognize that when somebody is widowed, uh, it's a very lonely thing to think about spending the rest of your physical life alone. So um, my father has not remarried. He may or may not. Um, but I do know of people who are given, again, what was called a comfort blessing. And again, sure. blessing meaning marriage um, when their spouse passed. Interesting. Okay. Well, I love your art. Now, when did you start healing and using art as a part of your healing journey? Art has, so I started, I've always been an artistic kid and I started using art as a tool to process my world, even at a young age. So I have sketchbooks from when I was like in high school that are very similar to the art that I do now. But I think that immediately after I left the church, I really started using photography. I, uh, I had a mentor who I knew even before I left the church. And he was one of those people that was sort of a bridge out for me. Um, so he taught me everything that I knew up to a point about photography. And I, I started using self-portraiture, not realizing it was a healing tool, but because I didn't have the verbal language to process my experience, it became this very right brain way for me to, to process and understand and then also start to share my experience. Oh, that's terrific. How, what kind of impact do people, has it had on people? And have you spoken with other survivors of controlling mm -hmm. institutions, religions, or relationships that have yeah. seen your art? Um, I think, and I'm going to quote a, a gallery owner about my work. He said that the themes are universal. And so I think that the, as I learn more again about coercive control. I see what he's talking about. Um, I the first time I ever shared my art, I share this story a lot. Uh, I I shared my prints with a woman at a workshop, and she looked at them and she said, "These remind me of me." And uh, wow. she, she had grown up in an abusive family, and she said she spent a lot of time growing up uh, and dissociating. And this was it was hugely impactful for me because it was the first time that I realized that what I had gone through that had felt so isolating was unfortunately, a, again, a very universal experience. So many people who have um, been in abusive situations, who have experienced trauma can relate to these images. So I've actually started partnering with nonprofits like Unchained at Last and the Resiliency Foundation they both advocate to change the laws around child marriage and forced arranged marriage because I refer to my arranged marriage as, as, as a forced arranged marriage. Um, and so, you know, I, I do look for other places that can use my art to help tell the stories that need to be told. Again, even if they're not cultic origin stories, Sure. what I've learned is that people can project themselves onto the work because 
unfortunately, I think there is a universal language around trauma from a visual standpoint. Mm -hmm. And many people understand it on a very visceral level. That is beautiful. So you put this art out there and people are able to connect with it from their own situation. Mm -hmm. And I like that you've also partnered with some powerful organizations too, to make some good out of something that was quite frankly, pretty traumatic at the time. So where can people learn and see more about your art and what's coming next for you? Um, You can find me at jenkiaba.com and across all social media, I'm at jenkiaba. So I, you know, I share my art and my writing on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Those are sort of the places that I'm the most active. And then, um, you know, I, I really took a pause during the pandemic in terms of art creation. I did spend a lot of time writing. So now I'm sort of moving into this phase of um, creating again. And I'm looking to incorporate painting and drawing because those were my old processes. And I'm going to see what I can do with them with photography. And I'm just sort of letting it uh, letting it go where it goes and being open to the exploration process. Oh, that sounds beautiful. I've really enjoyed looking at your work in preparation for this. So I'm, in the show notes, folks, I will definitely have the link where you can find more about Jen Kiaba and her wonderful work and her amazing story. She's done a breadth of interviews. So I know you're on social media and it's a very poignant story that does touch us, you know, one of my most something that means the most to me about healing in my own personal journey is that we all need a strong support network mm. and and stubborn persistence. And for <laughs> you, when you were in that isolating religion, you were able to find a way out of it and create and connect and create your own supportive community and create that experience for another person as well. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I applaud you for that. And thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, tell a friend and go ahead and give us a review. I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.